by the time Job got done, the Bible says he got a double portion. A double portion isn't actually twice as much. It takes nine months to have particular animals or three months to four months. But when you're having twice that much, it doesn't take twice that long. It just means you get twice that much in the same amount of time. It's called multiplication. I won't preach a little while if you'll help me and let me and receive. If you don't receive it, it just takes me longer to get there. So you choose. But I want to talk to you about the dimension of great faith and healing. Where there's great faith, just say there's healing. I said where there's great faith, there's healing. It's not you get to great faith and maybe you get healed. No, where there's great faith, there's healing. And I think the deficiency of humanity is that we've learned how to operate off little faith and been satisfied. And then whenever something doesn't happen, we just use the society's components to assist us. They didn't have that then. One of the greatest things, brother, Teclamarian Gahazanin, the bishop to the great revival in Ethiopia of over... I don't know, two million souls at this point, told me was that living for God in America is much harder. I said, how is that? He said, well, to me, it's greater miracle. I said, how is it greater miracle? He said, well, we have nothing, only God. He said, you have everything, yet you choose God. And I thought, wow, he's so right. If you made it to this house... This morning, you've got faith. Just to make it to a North American house of the Lord and worship God, you've got faith. There's a lot of stuff that could have stopped you, but it didn't. And you got to the house of the Lord. And I wonder somehow from your entrance of the house of the Lord to be able to graduate to the platform where the Lord tried to take the disciples would be possible to gravitate to get a hold of something today I probably have more scripture than you have time but let's try you may be seated dimension of great faith and healing faith really isn't believing God so you can get what you want faith is really releasing God so he can do what he wants Truly, faith is sacrifice because what we really sacrifice is that the moment you step into faith, you can no longer see. You no longer have control, and you no longer know the outcome. If you can see, you're not in faith, you're in hope. Because faith is a substance of things. What's the first component? Hope for evidence of things not seen for by it the elders obtained a good report thus the whole concept of I've got faith in God because I know exactly what's going to happen that's not faith 
when you've got faith in God you don't know what's going to happen next you don't know what you're about to see next you don't know what you're going to step into next you don't know how God's about to do something next see with faith you really don't see you don't control and you don't know the outcome it's the risk factor of the natural mind one day I was in prayer and the Lord asked me a question and he said do we want faith for a miracle or faith for righteousness to be revealed he said if I give you a miracle based on your faith it doesn't necessarily mean I've revealed myself. He said, but if I reveal myself, you'll get more than a miracle with your faith. That's why we're a people of revelation. Amen, not blessing. Because blessing always follows revelation. But revelation doesn't always follow blessing. <laughs> And so people have digressed faith concepts in God to mere elements of success of their circumstance. And that's where really little faith wraps itself around. It's four different cycles that the Bible bears out, which basically, amen, categorically reference worry, fear, doubt and reason it's the four cycles that I watch Jesus taking the disciples upon it's like he's taking them on this perpetual journey to get them to a platform called great faith because once you get to that platform called great faith it appears that nothing is impossible it appears that whatsoever you ask happens. It appears that just by being in the presence of the Lord, one word spoken heals a dire situation. He said in Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 through 31 when he's talking about no man can serve two masters. He's talking about serving God or serving mammon. So mammon here is the reference of confidence actually. He said you can't have confidence in both. So you got to hold to the one of you and despise the other. You got to love the one and not love the other or hate the others. The contrast here, he says, you cannot serve both. So I'm thinking, okay, what's the mammon that he's talking about here? Verse 25 tells you, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what's for your body, what you'll put on, clothing. Don't worry about food, drink, or clothing. He said, isn't life more than meat and the body than raiment? So mammon here is worry. What are you worried about? Why? Because worry takes a hold of your mind. It's what you think about when you wake up. It's what you think about when you go to bed. It's what you think about. And whatever you think about, that's where your value system is. 
Whatever you talk about, that's definitely where your value system is. But there's a concept here. He said, take no thought, which means what? The thought's going to be in the atmosphere, but you have to make a decision to either take it or reject it. He said, so in order for worry to have its effect upon you, he said, you have to take that thought. What am I going to do? The fowls of the air, he said, don't I take care of them? They don't even sow like you did a little while ago. They don't even sow. They don't even reap. They don't even gather into barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you better than a bird? Look at your neighbor say, you're better than a bird. (laughs) Aren't you glad you're better than a bird? Because birds get shot. I shot four turkeys in two shots last season. And all of them were trophies. And I don't even know how to hunt. (laughs) Boom, boom. And the guy said, stop shooting. I don't have any more tags. (laughs) That's a hunt. And I'm talking to a hunter's hunter right here. (laughs) And God just blesses me when I go hunting. That's all I can tell you. I don't know. I'm not bragging. I promise you, I have nothing to do with this. I just pulled the trigger. He said, don't I take care of the birds? The lilies, I mean, he even lowers it. He goes, okay, let's go from the animal life to the plant life. How low can I go to convince you that if I take care of stuff lower than you, won't I take care of you? If I take care of the animal, which is lower than you, and I take care of the field, which is even lower than you, when I take care of you, look at the statement he makes. He talks about the grass of the field, and one day it's harvested, and they cast it into the oven, and shall I not more clothe you? And then he makes this statement, O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought. He says it again. If the Bible says something twice in a reading, pay attention. It's important. It's just structure for reading the word. If he says it twice, very, very important. Pay attention to it. He says, listen, why are you consumed with what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, how you're going to be clothed? Then he uses this scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you has nothing to do with cars, houses, jobs. It has to do with, well, it could have to do with your job, I suppose. But it has to do with eat, drink, and dress. He said the very bare minimum is the maximum of your prayer request. He said, I'm trying to get you past that. Then the second one is fear. I'm just trying to lay a foundation here, so bear with me, okay? Fear is the second one where he describes little faith. 
faith. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. There in a storm, he tells them, get in the ship. We're going to the other side. A great tempest comes up in so much that it covered the boat with waves. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And they come out with different dialogue. Lord, save us. We perish. And he looks at them and he says in verse number 26, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Worry, fear. And I'm trying to get the worry out of you, the fear out of you, the doubt out of you, the reason out of you. Because if I can get those things out of you, I can cause you to come to a place called great faith. Because it appears to me when you get to great faith, healing just happens. Does this make sense to you? Then he arose. That's probably one of my favorite lines. When God gets up. You know, when God gets up, what happens? The Bible says, let God, what? Arise. And then what happens next? Let whose enemies? His. Why? Because God won't get up until the enemies are no longer ours. They got to be his. He arises, rebukes the winds and the seas, and there's this great calm. And the men marvel and say, what manner of man is this? He's really trying to get out of them. You cannot operate by fear. Cannot let fear drive your petition base. Doubt is the third one, doubt. Doubt is when you call yourself Christian, and you start wondering if God's hearing your prayer. Doubt is to somebody that actually is believing and then they start doubting. That's why it talks to the men and says, men, don't let doubt get into the house. How? Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Why? Because if doubt's going to get in, it's going to have to pass you first, sir. If that doubt gets past you, you can know it's going to get to your wife, it's going to get to your kids, it's going to affect everything. So, men, it's our responsibility once our household of faith is a household of faith that we don't allow doubt. You know, mama's the thermometer, right? But daddy's the barometer. He's got to take care of the atmosphere, and if the atmosphere is going to be tapped today, it's going to be tapped with doubt. There's doubt all over the place right now. We got a country that's driven by fear. Fear came into this country on 9-11. 9-11 opened the gate and the floodgate for fear to consume this country. And fear has been the greatest attack against every person in this nation. She said, you cannot let fear to become the predominant factor of your prayer life. Why God doesn't respond to fear. He responds to faith. And faith and fear. You know why the devil chose fear, right? Because it replaces the fear of the Lord. And anything that replaces the fear of the Lord shuts down your miraculous dimension. So if you've got a fear attacking you, you know why that is? Because hell looked up and saw a miracle come into your house and said, if I can get them to fear and depart from the fear of the Lord, I can stop their miracle from happening. If you got fear attacking your house, that's your very reason to shout because that's your signal that there's actually an answer on its way. 
I don't know if you're even hearing me this morning, but the reason fear has risen its head is because faith got God's attention and God is responding to your prayer. Mm. Some of you stayed up too late and it's showing. I got woken up by a choir, not from heaven either, from Africa. They happened to be in the rooms around us. They started singing. They thought it was beautiful. I didn't, but I got up anyway. I said, well, if you can sing, I can pray. Uh I didn't start trying to challenge them with loud prayers. I just went to prayer because I'm not going to get distracted. Because there's miraculous events already here. Already here. Already here. Say already here. See, you're just using your mind. Once you start using your soul, amen, your reaction gets involved. Ships all discombobulated. Jesus rises up in the middle of that ship and he tells that storm to shut up, excuse me, to hush, to be quiet, to silence yourself, to please be quiet. I don't think so. He said, why are you so fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Hmm. Then he steps into this doubt chamber. This, you know, it takes faith to receive a miracle. I remember being, this this was one of the most, I really pondered this moment in time. I was in a church in North America. I was in the middle of preaching with about the man at the pool of Bethesda. I think that was the subject. And I looked over and there was a crippled man sitting over here and his arm was like this. Right in the middle of preaching. I wasn't thinking of him. I stopped. I looked at him and said, stretch forth thine arm. And his arm, everybody saw it. 300 plus people went like this. And he looked at it and he kind of, his face kind of contorted a little bit and he goes, and I walked up to him later. I said, why did you do that? You were healed. I said, God healed you. Everybody saw it. He said, I know Brother Hernandez tears running down his face. He said, I became afraid. One of the greatest lessons that I've learned in atmospheres like this is that there's usually miracles all around and people get afraid to step out and receive them. Mm, lift your hands right now. Something just shifted in this atmosphere right now. Lift your hands and lift your voice with those hands. Would you do that? And don't let doubt, whatever your circumstances, don't let doubt start to try to trickle in its way inside of your circumstance and situation. There's a God in this house that wants to do, amen, the inevitable according to his kingdom and his witness in this place. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I got a hasten here. 
man stood in the pulpit, a pastor, he called a man that had a big ball in his stomach. He walked up. He said, in Jesus' name, man sitting on the front row said, I looked up. I saw light come through your head, pastor. I watched it come out your arm like a piece of lightning. The lightning hit his stomach. The man had cancer and was bloated by the cancer. And literally, he said, I saw that light hit his stomach and bounce off. What does that mean? Healing came to the man. But the man didn't use his faith to receive. He used his doctor's report to analyze Whose report will you believe? I said, whose report will you believe? If you don't have a report from the Lord, get one. If you got a report from the doctor, that's great. But come to the church house. Come to your prayer room. Come to your prayer closet and pray until you get a report from the Lord. And then compare the Whose report? Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. Matthew chapter 14. This is verses 20 through to 33, 22, 33. He gets in this ship. This time he gets them in the ship and he sends them by themselves alone. He goes up into the mountain and pray. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's the darkest part of the evening or night about to cause the dawning of the day to break forth. And the winds are contrary. The boat's getting tossed to uncontrollable moments and places there. Amen. The disciples are getting frantic because they know they can't handle this one. And so Jesus comes walking on the water and they're troubled saying it's a ghost. Why is it that people in cause and effect have more, amen, quickening to think that it's a devil? Listen to them. It's right here. Verses 25, 26. They were troubled saying it is a spirit. Another writer says it's a phantom. That's a ghost. And it wasn't friendly. <laughs> they thought. Why? Because your storm could cause you to change your perception. And the Jesus you once saw turning water into wine now looks like a ghost to you. And when Jesus becomes familiar... You can recognize them a lot easier. But when your circumstance becomes more familiar than your Jesus, that's when doubt starts creeping in. When your circumstance becomes the mountain and your Jesus becomes the molehill, he starts looking like a ghost to you. And they start frantiquing because they didn't realize what was their actual help. Look like their opposition. And they start doubting. So he says, okay, let me handle this doubt with a supernatural action. Why? Because the only way to get rid of doubt is to have a supernatural action. I can't teach a doubt away. I can't teach you enough Bible studies to get a doubt away. But if you have a supernatural action, 
There's something about doubt that cannot exist where the supernatural works. That's the reason if you study Babylon, the guys that had success were the ones that had supernatural actions. Daniel gets an angel in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get a fourth man in a fiery furnace. Ezekiel gets an out-of-body experience. Why? Because the only way to deal with Babylonian culture, which we are now in, and that is filled with doubt, is to have supernatural actions. You can't dance it away. You can't praise it away. You can't sing it away. But if you get a miracle, you get a super. You ever watch blind eyes open? It's an amazing thing. You ever watch somebody's ears pop open after 27 years like the man at Brother Manuel Rogers Church who had been deaf in one ear for 27 years and literally in the middle of a song service while the spirit of the Lord started moving, his wife said, honey, I believe God's going to heal you right now. He said, I do too. She put his hand, put her hand on his left ear and it popped open after 27 years. Just like that. Why? Quickening moments have something to do with shattering the doubt that's coming against you. And what God's doing here in this house are quickening moments. Mm. Lift your hands again. Worship the Lord. Let your voice attach itself to those hands. Oh God, I pray today you help us, God, exit out of little faith and step into great faith, God, in this house. In the name of Jesus Christ, cause more than just a little bit to stir, but cause, I pray, divine intervention to step into worlds that are in whirlwinds and cause things to change. Mm. Jesus, somebody shout. Jesus, somebody shout. Jesus. Mm. Don't ever come to a place where the supernatural troubles you. Don't ever get to a place where the supernatural troubles you. If the supernatural troubles you and you want to go back to your religious church, leave that one and come to this one. I'm telling you, I said it over the internet too, on TV. Why? Because the only church that's going to make it in the 21st century is a supernatural church. That's the only one that made it in the old book. And that's the only one that's going to make it in the new book. And that's the one that made it in Ephesus. And that's the one that survived at Corinth. They cried out, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear. See, fear after you've known the Lord is translated doubt. Fear before you really know the Lord is translated fear. <laughs> Lord, if it be thou, Peter says, bid me come unto thee on the water. And I got to thinking when you guys were talking about that, those angels bowing down before the Lord, I thought that's interesting. Remember the story when the angel nudged Peter in the prison and Peter pinched himself? That's what it says. He literally pinched himself 
to see if he was awake or not. Right? <laughs> Whereas the saints back at the house, when he shows up at the door, Rhoda says, Peter's at the door. He said, no, it's not. It's his angel. The saints were more accustomed to the angels and the preachers were still wondering if it was or not. <laughs> hmm, think about that. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. God, don't let me step into that. It's because preachers get the upfront first seat view of so many things. And you get to shadow behind that shield. So thank God for your pastor. Because before it gets to you, it's got to come through him spiritually. Think about all he has to deal with. Pray for him. Pray for him. Don't ever criticize him. Pray for him. Not that you do. I'm not suggesting that. He said, come. Wishing all 12 disciples would have walked on water. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water. Everybody say, he walked on water. Think about this for a moment. He's walking on water. Not with rocks underneath his feet. No, no, no. He's walking on water, and he's not just walking on water. I mean, there's a storm. Waves are not exactly just like this. He's hovering. He's hovering. Never mind. I don't even want to go there. I'll, I'll skip that part. <laughs> but he's literally hovering. How do you walk on a storm? You ever been in a sea storm? <laughs> The waters aren't exactly like this. <laughs> He's causing him to hover. It's the same dimension of Genesis. When the Spirit of God hovered, you know what he's doing? He's proving who he is. God manifest in flesh. The same God who said, let there be light that was hovering over the waters of the earth is hovering one more time. So you know what he says to Peter? Hey, instead of me coming down to your situation, why don't you come up to where I'm existing and why don't you just come and hover with me? So he says, hey, disciples, I want to tell you what's coming next. I want to tell you what's in the next weeks, what's in the next months, what's in the next year. There's dimensions I want to introduce you to. Come hover with me. You're stuck down there. I'm trying to get you to hover. Hover with me. Hover with me. Come on. Peter jumps out, starts hovering. He's like, wow. But this is Monday. But there's a storm. Starts to sink. Lord looks at him. He's afraid, beginning to sing. Lord, save me. Don't start that again. <laughs> and immediately, I love that. Verse 31. Why? Only people that take risks get immediately. Everybody else gets to watch from the boat. Peter gets... Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, what did he say? Oh, thou of little faith. So it only takes little faith, pastor, to walk on water. 
thought, oh my God, help my brain. It takes little faith to walk on water. So what does great faith get you? If my God in heaven, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If little faith can cause you to walk into dimensions that aren't even logical and possible according to science and nature. I wonder what great faith could do for us if somehow we could get past these cycles. Reasons, the last one. It's the new leaven. It's the leaven that gets in after you've had faith. It's Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. It's when the disciples are come to the other side. They'd forgotten to take bread. And Jesus says unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves. Anytime you have a question, do not go online. Go to prayer. Because if you go online, you will start reasoning. And the reason some people have lost this doctrine and this faith is because they begin to reason among themselves. You're going to lose it every time you allow reason to step in. It's a little faith dimension. They say, well, it's because then they start trying to analyze and overthink something. And Jesus perceived, verse 8, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? The quickest way to lower your faith dimension is to start chatting online to try to get supernatural answers. Why? Because you're giving up that conversation for, for, instead of your prayer conversation. Most people that spend a lot of time chatting online are not in great relationships with Jesus Christ because they don't have time. They're spending two hours online discussing nothing. And their prayer life doesn't consist of two hours a day. I'm just saying. I'm not rebuking anybody. I'm not pointing fingers. But I am telling you, it's a consummation of the age because it's trying to get you into the reasoning element of little faith. You know what it is? There are four cycles. Worry, fear, doubt, reason. They're the four cycles that keep people existent on little faith. Why? Hell knows if we ever get to great faith. What is great faith? Here's great faith. It's found two times, two stories in the New Testament. It's the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew and the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew. Amen. Let's take the 8th chapter first. It's the centurion man. It's verses 5 through 13. It's when Jesus enters Capernaum or Capernaum, however you want to say it, and this centurion comes and says, My servant lieth at home sick of palsy. He's tormented. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, No. No, no, no. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but I understand authority because I am a man. He didn't say in authority. He said, I'm a man under authority. The moment he said that, he triggered the kingdom principle because why? A guy that understands that at the level that he's at understands how this kingdom works. Submission is the key here. And when he realizes the man, even in his position, still considers himself under. When he understands the level of submission, he says, okay, you can receive this. Why? Because submission can receive a word of faith. 
Reason always needs an explanation, but submission can receive a word of faith. Submission isn't when you agree. Submission is when you disagree and you're still willing to submit. Submission's that dimension that Jesus looked at him. He said, you know what? I've been pretty much through all of Israel, through Jerusalem and everything, and I have not found so great faith. This is verse number 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. So what makes Jesus marvel? Submission. You submit, immediately you get God's attention. The Bible says he marveled, right? says he marveled. Look right there. He marveled. How many times have we caused Jesus to marvel? Submission causes the Lord to marvel. Why? Because he understands it's putting the will under subjection. And anybody that can do that can receive a word of faith. Why? He says, I don't even need to go to your house now. For the very reason that you have submitted, I can just talk. Why? Because I can just speak to submitted vessels and stuff begins to happen because there's no resistance of a will. Why? Because submission gives up the will. So the moment you give up the will, God can just start speaking creatively. Am I making sense to anybody in this house? That's why submission's so important. Not because it makes you less than somebody else. No, but because it positions you to the thing God's about to do next. What he's about to say next. What he's about to perform next. So he says, just speak the word. He says, okay, I've not found faith like this, not even amongst the religious people. He said it. He said, not in all Israel. Well, he's talking about the capital, which is Jerusalem. He's talking about the religious heads of heads. Talking about the hierarchy of religion, because religion isn't necessarily submission. There's some people that are so religious, you can't even teach them a Bible study. You lose a teachable spirit, you lost submission a long time ago. The man that taught me that wasn't teachable. But I learned the lesson from him. He said, if you ever lose a teachable spirit, you'll stop growing. He said, don't ever lose a teachable spirit. But I couldn't tell him anything. Because I was a kid, he was the elder, and that's proper. That's all right, I can receive that, that's fine. But my parents taught me, don't ever talk against the man of God. Even if he's wrong, Saul. Right? Because everybody needs a Saul. Can't produce a David without a Saul. I won't even take time to tell you that whole story, but it was brutal. But I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad I'm alive, and I'm glad I submitted. Praise the Lord. He marvels. Why? Because the guy submitted. He says, okay, go. Listen to this. This is a great dimension verse. Great faith dimension verse. Verse 13. Go thy way, and as thou hast believed. He didn't say, as thou hast said. He said, as thou hast believed. I thought, wow, there's not even words there. So be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. No laying on of hands. No words. An action of submission released something in the supernatural realm and the guy gets healed. And I thought, wow, what is it that's bothering your spirit that if you'll submit and you'll let go of it, God will just start healing it right now while you're seated in this auditorium. 
Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in that right now. I said, what circumstance issue on your job with some co-worker, with some circumstance, with some department, with some amen entity that you're struggling with right now? If you'll just submit to the process and say, okay, God, I give up, I let go, I release it. God will literally start healing it right now. Okay, you're not hearing me yet. It's my fault. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Let me do better. Let me help you here. Let me help you. It's my fault. I'm not communicating. Something's not coming through. So, Lord, I pray you help me right now. I need fresh anointing always to be able to communicate to your sweet people. As I, I heard it from a golfer. He was trying to teach my wife how to golf, and she missed the ball two times in a row. And uh, she said, I'm sorry. He said, oh, no, no, no. You never apologize. He said, if you're not getting it, it's my fault. I'm the teacher. I thought, wow. There's a great example. So the other one's great faith, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. It's this Canaanite woman. She is considered a dog. She's called a dog. (laughs) So she comes into the room. And the disciples are like, who let her in? Why? She's of another culture. Hello, talk to me. Hey, look, I was raised con los Latinos, all right? I know about, amen, Hispanic prejudice. How you can look at other cultures and you can try to look down on them because you don't like being called a minority all your life. Okay? That's what I was called all my life, so I understand it. You ain't got anything on me. (laughs) You can't pull that card. Uh Uh-uh. I live that card. All right? So I know what I'm talking about when I tell you, amen, being looked at like a dog. I understand a little bit about this Samaritan. Okay, so this Samaritan comes into the atmosphere. They look at her. Mm -hmm. Who are you? Hmm. Why are you in this room? Hmm. You ain't the same color. Hmm. You don't eat the same kind of food. Yeah, you're getting quiet on me because I know where I know where that's at. I live that cultural card, okay? So, and I'm not beating on you. I'm just telling you a story because I live this personally. And so she gets into the room, and uh, she's looking for a miracle. And she gets close, and she knows this is the miracle maker. I don't care what he says. Why? He's the miracle maker. He's got all of heaven. He's got all of the earth wrapped up in his hands. And, and so she, she approaches the room and, and uh, she's looking for this, for this miracle. And he says, it's not meat to give bread or crumbs to to the dogs she said that's fine even the dogs need a miracle <laughs> whatever you want to lower me to I don't I don't I can't control what you say but I can't control what I do I can't control what you think, but I can't control how I manage my emotions. I can't control what you might throw at me, but I can't control how it hits me. 
You know what he said to this woman? Verse number 28. Put verse number 28 up there, Matthew chapter 15. He looks at this woman after her response. And he says, oh, woman, great is thy faith. Listen to these words. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Whatever you want, you can have it. Okay, so everybody wants that part, right? Whatever you want, just open your mouth and say it. It's yours. Everybody wants that, but the only way to get that according to this story, is to not be offended. If you have no attachable parts in your human frame that can get offended, you can open your mouth and ask whatever you want and it'll happen. No offense. What I've been preaching to you the last two weeks is wrapped up in this one little statement right here. That if you can work on getting rid of every offense, everything that God has literally given to you over the last three weeks will begin to start popping like popcorn. The only resistance left is offense because it's the hardest one to get rid of. Did you know I've got tons of research. I got more notes than I have time this morning. But I got tons of research from different doctors. One of them's Dr. Newberg. No, not Newberg. It's Barry. Sorry. Dr. Barry is a research, amen, from Pennsylvania, researcher in, in health and science and bodies. And, and he has discovered in his book, he wrote a book about this research called The Forgiveness Project. And he wrote about the capacity of sickness being able to be attached to the body by reason of unforgiveness. He said, listen to this statement, 70 to 80% of all sickness and disease happen because of unforgiveness or offense. It blew me away. He wasn't even talking scripture. He wasn't talking Bible. He wasn't talking religion. He wasn't talking Christianity. He was just talking human nature. So I got, I got turned on to this about 20 years ago. I was on an airplane back in the days of Continental Airlines. We're going back a little ways. I was on a flight sitting there, and I looked up, and it said, Unforgiveness Clinic. I went, what? I grabbed the headset, put it on. Dr. So-and-so was talking. He said, I worked for 20 years with diabetic patients. And he said, I couldn't get much success. He said, so I thought, okay. We got to try something different. He said, one day I just, a thought came to me. It was the Lord, I'll tell you that. He was sitting there and he he looked at the lady in front of him. He said, ma'am, I've tried to help you. All the medicines I've given you, nothing's helping you. Can can you answer a question for me? She said, sure. He said, do you remember if when this started happening in your body, if you had any kind of situations at your house or with your family or a circumstance that rose up where maybe you didn't forgive somebody? She said, Actually, yeah. She said, we had a major blowout in our family, and I've had, I've had aught or problem against a certain family ever since then. She said, you're right. That's actually when it started. He said, would you do me a favor? She said, I'll try. He said, would you just practice just saying out loud, I forgive this person. No prayer, no Bible, no intercession. Just an exercise of a physical frame. She said, I'll try it. She came back a month later. Her numbers were better. In one year, she was completely back to normal. 
I'm about to come out of my airplane seat and have a Holy Ghost hold down and jump out of the plane. I just didn't have a parachute. Thought that's not a good idea. I am beside myself. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This guy's doing this without the word, without the spirit, without the name, without the blood. What happens inside of this kingdom? Amen. When a Jesus name apostolic believer begins to release all offense. So I began to look it up and I'll, I'll try to hurry up here. I need to hurry up. Do I need to hurry up? I probably do. I look at the boss over here. Who hath believed our report? You know when his report is harder to believe? When there's a lack of submission and when there's offense. It hit me. They're all tied together. It started to grow on me. I started to study it. I had a vision, very clear vision. I was about to preach a camp meeting. It was actually SoCal camp. They asked me to preach one of the sessions. I was in my house, and I was sitting there at the time in California, and all of a sudden I saw a physical body, and it had open portal. And then I saw sickness transporting in and out of the physical frame. And I thought, God, what? I can see that sickness. I can see the open portal. But what's the transporter? What's allowing sickness to just move in and out freely? I said, what is that? There's something that's transporting it. He said, it's offense. He said, offense is the transporter of attack. And I thought, and you're wanting me to preach this in my own district. (laughs) Okay, this is, I'm going to get crucified. Okay, I willingly, not my will, but thine be thine. (laughs) I mean, yes, it's another thing to preach it when you're visiting some other state, but in your own country, Father, help us. They received it. It was great. But, But let me try to help you here. I was at Marvin Walker's church. And I was preaching about forgiveness, actually, the same subject here, just that particular subject. And while I'm preaching, a woman gets a hold of it, and she says, you know what? I took the blame myself for my mother's death, and I created an offense by blaming myself. I thought, wow, what? Self-blame is self-offense. She said, that moment I did that, I started growing a tumor in my nose. She said, it grew, it grew until it's blocked the passage. I was due for surgery, Brother Hernandez. She said, I was sitting in the pew and it dawned on me. That's when this tumor started, when my mom died, when I took self-blame. She said, a disease, a portal opened up. And this tumor started growing in my nasal passage. God, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong right now. She said, while I was listening to you preach, I thought, that's it. That's why the tumor's there. Now I know how to get rid of it. So she said, while you're preaching, I start saying, God, I forgive myself for ever taking blame. I forgive myself for ever 
trying to be responsible for something that I had nothing to do with. I couldn't have controlled her life or her death anyway. She said, as I started doing it, I noticed I could start breathing from this nostril where the tumor had my, amen, air passage blocked. She said, the more I could breathe, the more I did it. The more I did it, the more I could breathe. She said, by the time you got done preaching, she said, the tumor had completely disappeared. She said, look at me breathe, Brother Hernandez. She started going, started breathing through her nasal passage. Clap your hands again. Something is beginning to stir in the house of the Lord. You see, he was he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You know, that's what the scripture is about. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the harm of the Lord revealed? Then he goes on to describe about he's going to be acquainted, a man, amen, of sorrows acquainted with grief. He talks about his face not being even really pleasant to look upon. And this is where he says, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. That's the whole scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions, pruned for our iniquity, chastisement of his peace was upon him. What's the rest of it? And with his... We are. I thought, wait a minute. You ever wondered? I mean, come on, think about it. How can stripes heal somebody? You ever wondered about I have. I might have thought, okay, he got beaten. Stripes were healed. Okay, there's no sense in that. That doesn't even make logical, connectable sense. I've always wondered. what Stripes? Okay, blood, I understand. It's horrible to think about what he went through just so we could get a healing. I thought, why that process? There's got to be a reason that it hit me. He gets beat with a cat of nine tails, right? When they hit his body and pull on the cord, it rips his skin. Blood starts gushing out, right? What's the first reaction in human nature when I slap you? You're offended. It's immediate. They hit him. He doesn't get offended. They hit him again. He doesn't get offended. They hit him again. He doesn't get offended. Blood is squirting everywhere. But they can't offend him. Why? Because offense is the attachable point. That's when something can attach itself to your human spirit. They hit him 20 times. He doesn't get offended. He's a bloody mess. You can't even recognize his bodily parts on the backside. There's blood squirting everything. Everywhere. He's not offended. He's not looking for an attorney. He's not looking for a court system. That's why 39 stripes later when there's a bloody mess everywhere the Bible says through the prophetical utterance and with his stripes no offense ye are healed. I'm sorry some of you didn't even understand what I said. 
Somebody punches you, you're offended. In our culture, somebody just says one negative thing and you're offended. You know why? Hell knows. If it can keep us offended, it can keep us at little faith. If it can keep us at little faith, we'll never get to the dimensions where you ask what you will and it shall be done. Some of you feel stuck because your offense has become so valuable. You don't know how to let it go. But let me help you. Think about the atrocity of the beating Jesus took, right? So he's on the cross because there is a level in human frame in psychology, physiological studies, that your body has no ability. It runs out of ability to do anything. So he's on the cross. He's been done. You can't even list the things. Spat, beaten, name called, lied upon, everything. Everything that would we would be in courts for. We're in a sue happy society. I remember one time I could have sued a guy because he ripped off $30,000 from my parents' project as I was trying to build their house after they had pastored 34 years and this was their life savings. And I lost 30 grand and he ripped us off and I thought I could have went after his bond, went and sued him and all that stuff. He didn't even have enough bond anyway. So I ran to the church house, prayed for two hours. Lord spoke to me at the end of it. Long story short, he said, what would you rather have, the courts of men or the courts of the Lord? I thought, oh, my God. I jumped up, started shouting, rejoicing, blessing God, and we just let him go. Forget it. God will help us somehow. Got home. They reduced the electrical contract by $12,000 that week. Got home, I found a kitchen that was already pre-made with the top-notch granite, four-layered stuff that's worth the most amount of money. I bought the entire kitchen for $2,000. It's worth (laughs) $40,000. I thought, courts of the Lord, courts of the Lord, courts of the Lord. Why? Because I had a chance to get offended. But it took me two hours to get through it. I had to go lay on my face, cry a puddle of tears. Because I had to let go. I could not let. Because once it gets in, it gets deeper and it gets harder. It gets deeper and it gets harder. Can I get a witness? It gets deeper, then it gets harder. And it gets deeper and it gets harder. And I hear the Lord saying, The world right now is going to continue to try to use the system of offense to keep the church minimized at little faith. So make a choice. Would you rather live the rest of your cycles? It's not that you won't go to heaven. You can make it to heaven. You can live in little faith if you want to. You can live in the worry and the fear and the doubt and the reason if you'd like. But God's just trying to offer you a greater dimension here at Atlanta West. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Maybe you can't get to the place where you can let go. Maybe you can't get to the place. But he was wounded for a reason. He was bruised for a reason. He took those stripes. Amen. So offense couldn't be. Do you understand the reason that 
John said what he said, why it was so imperative the connecting points that John 1.29 literally says the next day when John, John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming to him, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. And we found out why a lamb by Brother Stan Gleason two NAYCs ago. Amen. Because a lamb, when it's bitten by a snake, the blood doesn't clot. It doesn't coagulate. So I went online to study that further after he said that I've been studying it for a couple years. Here's what I've been finding out. The more the snake bites it, the blood actually gets stronger. I'm so tempted. They got a whole whole farm with 2,000 sheep that they do studies on doing this stuff in Europe. I'm so tempted to take a trip over there, honey, and go spend a week with those people just, just to hear them talk. They'll talk and I'll shout because they don't even know what they're saying. They're talking scientifically, but we understand it's the Lamb of God. And the reason you get baptized in Jesus' name is you're getting into covenant with the Lamb. And once you're in covenant with the Lamb, if the serpent, that old devil, comes to bite you, it won't clot. It'll just make you stronger. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, watch this, which taketh away the sin, singular. I thought, what? Singular? What do you mean one sin? Everybody does. Not everybody does the same thing. So I looked the word up. It's the word offense. There's a lot of extensions to this word sin. There's a lot of uh, Greek extensions. You, you can go and they've got derivatives that go like covers everything. But one of the main derivatives that's first capulated in, in the sword studies, and Logos also has it in their uh, Greek breakdown, is offense. And I thought, oh my Lord, that's, that's what it is. It's unforgiveness. That's the one thing that affects all humanity. Why? Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. So the moment I start to get offended, you know what I ask the Lord? What part of your law don't I love? That's what keeps offense away from me. Because I go straight to God and say, what part of your law am I not loving that offense is getting close? It's the Bible. It's what the Word says. You can look at me crossways if you want to, but I'm not telling you what I think. It's what the Word's trying to help you understand. There's a dimension that exists that if you'll let it go. Look, I was abused as a young boy by another male. I understand what it feels like to be shamed. I shock some of you right now. I can talk about it because it's not my shame. It's what God delivered me from so I could minister to somebody else through my vulnerability. That doesn't make me less. It makes me stronger. Watch this. So here comes the Lamb of God which taketh away the offense of the world the moment you got baptized 
You know what you got delivered of? Offense. You know why you felt so light? Offense was gone. You know why you felt like you could float? Offense just left. You know why you felt like you could love everybody? There's no offense. You ever watch somebody filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time and baptized in Jesus' name? They want to hug everything that's moving. You know why? There's no offense. That's what happens to you. When there's no offense, you want to hug everything and love everything that's around you. Why? Because you're having the nature of Christ flow through you where offense doesn't have an attachable point. Clap your hands again if you can, if you will. Mm. Let's stand, let's stand, let's stand, let's stand. Mm. You sang about it. If I have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, didn't you sing about it? You reminded me, I forgot to give the guy with the scriptures, the scripture, so I had pastor text it to him, but I showed him it was in my notes, didn't I, pastor? I didn't want him to think... I, I, I showed him that it was in my notes. I didn't want you guys to think, okay, he's adding stuff as they're going. I, I'm not doing that. God's talking to us. God's talking to us. Listen to what he says. Why? Because your offense is tied to your level of faith. More forgiveness, more faith. More forgiveness, more faith. Less forgiveness, less faith. Less forgiveness, less faith. Read it. Watch. And he said to the disciples, it's impossible that offenses will come. Everybody say they will come. Uh-huh. But woe, we like this part, but woe through whom they come. It were better for him, yeah, God, that a millstone were hanging about his neck. Yeah, can I help? And, uh, and cast into the sea, can I help you again? And that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed. Watch what he says. Take heed to yourselves. He doesn't say take heed to them. That's what, when you're offended, you don't look at yourself. You look at somebody else. That's why he says, look, when offense comes, don't take heed to them. Take heed to yourself. You, they're not the ones you need to worry about. You're the one that needs to be worried about yourself. Why? Because it's what's affecting you while you're looking at them. Take heed to yourself. If a brother, brother, if a brother, everybody say brother. Oh, boy, here we go. That's too close. If a brother, that's like family. See, that's the difference. We're a family. We're not a corporation. If we're a corporation, we could just fire some of you. <laughs> and you could fire some of us, right? But we're not. We're a family. <laughs> if a brother trespass against you, rebuke him. If you repent, forgive him. But if he does it seven times on a Sunday, doesn't say Sunday. I'm saying Sunday. Okay, Pastor. They did it once. Oh, man, I'm sorry, bro. That's oh, no problem. Then they turn right around 10 minutes later, do the same thing, said, hey, bro. I'm sorry, bro. Oh, please forgive me. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, that's cool, man. That's fine. Then they do it a third time 15 minutes later. Okay. Now you're being just plain stupid. Pastor? Pastor, I, I, I need to talk to you. Because so-and-so over here, as we say in Spanish, fulano de tal. That, that's the name for they. <laughs> it's just longer in Spanish. <laughs> Pastor, he said, okay, that's the fourth, third time. 
Okay, then it's like, okay, okay, come on, man. He's, I'm sorry, pastor, I'm sorry, please forgive me, okay. And then 30 minutes later, they do it again. See, that's why you have short services, so they can only do it three times or less. And, and you can make it in Atlanta West, praise the Lord. So if you had a long service, they might reach seven. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Seven times in the same day. You know what they said? Verse number five. Look, if he says, forgive me, forgive him. In the same day, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Notice said, the, the disciples don't say, Lord, increase our forgiveness. They said, Lord, increase our Because your forgiveness is tied to your faith. Your faith cannot exceed your forgiveness level. So any offense you have decreases your faith capacity. Any offense you allow to stay automatically starts reducing your faith. Your platform starts shrinking. And your miracles can't fit where your platform doesn't exist. God's trying to say, look, if you'll let go... Let it die. Let it be buried. I'll cause something to happen in your world that you won't even have to work at. Say the word only. Why? Because there's no offense here. Oh, woman, great is thy face. Why? Because there's no offense here. He was wounded for her transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes we are healed I wonder if you could step into the dimension of his stripes where anything that's come against your mind or your spirit or your body or your finances can be detached and God can just start loosing healing and this is the dimension of great faith and healing. I started preaching that. That woman's nose opened up. A man from Arabia or Iraq, excuse me. He was Arab. Came up. He said, I went over to him. He was doubled over. He said, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. He said, I can't, I can't hardly believe it's gone. I said, what happened? He said, I wasn't praying for my arm. He said, I was praying for childhood atrocities. He said, and I had fallen out of a tree when I was a kid, and my arm, my rotor cuff has been messed up since I was nine years old. I'm almost 60 years old. I've had pain almost every day of my life, and I knew it would never be fixed. I wasn't praying for that. I was praying for the atrocities I went through in Iraq as a boy, and as I was forgiving those that had hurt me, I noticed I could lift my arm. And the thing I had since I was nine years old, without even ever asking, it immediately left my body. I thought, oh my God. There were 19 documented, amen, notable miracles that happened in that building that night. There was a boy that had been in a partial coma, partial sleep, something. He couldn't come out of sleep. He would come out for a few minutes, 30 minutes to an hour, and then he'd pass back out in his bed. He was literally in his house. They had the computer on because they'd leave the services live like it's live right now. They'd leave him live in his bedroom. He happened to wake up while the message 
message went forth. While the message went forth, he stayed awake and he realized God was healing him. By the time we got done with the message, he put clothes on, got dressed, got in his car, drove to the church, ran to the altar, and his parents looked at him and said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be, how did you get here? He said, mom, dad, I'm healed. I was listening to the message and God walked into the room and I'm completely healed. Come to the altar, come to the altar, all over this place. Come to the altar, come to the altar. Lift your hands as you're coming, lift your hands as you're coming. Come as close as you can. There's plenty of people coming in behind you, so make space, please. Make space, everybody hurry as fast as you can. Hurry as fast as you can. Come to the altar, come to the altar, please. Please don't stay unless you absolutely have to stay in the pew. I understand, but if you could possibly make a move outside of that chair, get off that seat where you're seated or standing make a move at least towards the aisle just make a physical motion don't just stand there and stare please but come close come close come close come close come close and I want you to lift your hands if you possibly can and open your mouth and lift your voice if you possibly can it doesn't matter if you have to scream it doesn't matter if you have to cry it doesn't matter if you have to unload just unload the stuff that's gone through your emotional state your mental state and your psychological state right now and disconnect, disconnect, disconnect by the authority of the word of God by the power of the name Jesus, by the anointing that's upon us in the Holy Ghost Lord God the dimension of great faith that exists in this house today I pray God find an attachable place, find an attachable attachable point, find an attachable location, find an attachable vessel, find an attachable opening, find an attachable portal I release you from every atrocity, I release you from every pain I release you from every complaint, every hurt everything that does so easily beset us Lord as we are repenting as we are disconnecting now let healing portals attach themselves to the spiritual man let healing faculties attach themselves to the spiritual being let healing components attach themselves to the family to the head Lord to the to the offspring Lord I pray every offense oh God 
that came as a wall, that came as a sword, that came as a struggle, that came as an opposition, that came as a worry, that came as a fear, that came as a doubt, that came as a reason. I pray now, God, rend it, rend it, rend it. I want you to listen just for a moment. Listen just for a moment. Just keep your eyes closed. Concentrate on the Lord. But I want you to listen. A dimension of the Lord is coming to help you. Let me explain it. I partially started to, but I didn't finish. And the Lord just quickened me to finish it. Jesus was hanging on the cross. As a man, he had no more capacity. He had to depend on the divine. That's why he used the terminology father. It wasn't a different entity. It was a divine operation. That's why when he said, father forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't using human capacity because there was none. He was past human capacity. He had to depend on divine capacity. That's why when his arms were stretched and he was a bloody mess and there was no more human forgiveness possible, he depended on the spirit. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's what I want you to do. Step into the father dimension right now. Lay your hand on somebody by you and now pray together as a body father forgive them because there are some things in this room that are represented that there's no way in your human capacity you have the ability to forgive but the father dimension the divine dimension of God right now has come in the Holy Ghost to assist you in that forgiveness to assist you in that release to assist you in that letting go to assist you in that disconnection to assist you in that opening for the healing to assist you in that which God will make provision to assist you that great faith can attach itself to assist you that's it pray pray in the Holy Ghost pray